Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. The Bears offensive line is beat up right now. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John Zaglou. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Hit up our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Portland Park. It's kind of a nightmare situation for the Bears at this point, at this time before the season begins. I just said a couple of weeks ago in the first preseason game in which Justin Fields and really the entire offense succeeded, that it was the offensive line to be integral and the bears starting out strong field went three of three perfect passer rating two screen passes that barely passed the line of scrimmage they went all the way for touchdowns all the credit for that game and for that result and those first two drives really goes to the offensive line and their ability to block all the way downfield we talked about last year how the bears couldn't even run a screen couldn't even successfully do it maybe get five yards here and there maybe lose yardage and This year, albeit in the preseason, they've shown that they've improved the trenches, which is something Brian Poles pledged to do since day one. Credit to him. But as we sit here today, we're about two weeks before week one for the Bears. A lot of offensive line members are hurt, are nursing injuries, are trying to make a comeback, and it actually concerns me, considering how integral this is for the Bears' success offensively in 2023. Bears top pick Darnell Wright, quote, limped off with an apparent ankle injury and did not finish practice recently, according to 670 The Score's Chris Emma. Wright was also missing out on a team reps portion at the end of practice with a foot or ankle issue. So we have Darnell Wright, who's hurt right now. Cody Whitehair has a hand injury, but it's one that Matt Eberflus describes as, quote, not a big issue. Evan Jenkins is called week to week by Matt Eberflus. He's hurt right now. And some reports said he could be out for the season. So I don't know how it's week-to-week for Mieberplus, but other reports from some have said that it could be a season-ending injury for Tevin Jenkins. And then center Lucas Patrick is still, quote, ramping up. He's missed limited practices, and uh, but things are trending in the right direction for him. Point being, these are all integral parts of this Bears offensive line, and all of them right now have up-in-the-air statuses with two weeks to go. Pretty scary stuff. Pretty concerning if you're a Bears fan. Pretty concerning if you're Justin Fields. And this is just a situation in which all these bad things happen all at once. This is nobody's fault. Um, This isn't blaming Ryan Poles, blaming Matt Eberflus, or blaming Luke Getze, even Justin Fields. No one's to blame here. These are just a series of unfortunate events that could hurt the Bears before week one. Now, I'm not saying this whole season's down the chute already because or their offensive line members are hurt, but they looked so good together in that first preseason game. And I had said in that video, recapping the game, that for once, Justin Fields has the help he needs, and look what's going on. If this line was healthy and back together and ready to go, I think things would be 
very successful for Fields. He'd have the protection he needs. He'd have the luxury of staying in the pocket a little bit longer or running the football. He'd have blocking downfield. He'd be able to execute the simplest of plays to the biggest of plays. Fields would finally have an offensive line that you can hang your hat on. It's pretty important. And we saw it in place during one of the preseason games. Now, a lot of things are happening all at once, and it may not be looking good for the Bears come week one or even the first couple of weeks of this season. The part that hurts really off the bat is darn all right. This guy was just drafted, and he looked good early on. Now he might be hurt. Ankle injury, and that's not a good sign for an offensive lineman at this point. Limping off the practice field due to an ankle injury. Cody Bidehair, hand injury. He's hurt. Evan Jenkins week to week, but really could be month to month at this point. And then Lucas Patrick still ramping up. Assuming all these guys were 100% healthy, practicing together, ready to go, I would be unbelievably excited for what Justin Fields could do. And I still am. I'm not saying that Fields is going to suck now, but you have to admit this is like playing with one hand behind your back, tied up. I mean, you're losing four of your starting offensive linemen one of which is your top draft pick, who you just picked. Not a successful start to the season for the Bears. Now, here's an opportunity for Justin Fields to really step up, and I think this is a good thing that could come from this. How will Justin Fields do in adversity in this season of Bears football? He knows the system better, has the coaching, has a new GM, has has, has all these things that were different from when he started here with Nagy and Pace and that whole fiasco. He has more resources at his disposal, despite the offensive line issues. So could Justin Fields overcome potentially a bad or injured offensive line to begin the season and still perform at a high level and still improve and still show everybody, hey, I'm the, I'm the guy and then some. I am the guy, don't worry, and then some. I'm going to improve. Could we see that from Fields for this upcoming season? That's kind of a challenge for Fields. And I'm not going to kill him or blame him or go after him if he has a tough couple of games with no line help, with no blocking and and pressure. But wouldn't it be just unbelievable if he could overcome these issues, no matter who's on the line this year, just because he's grown so much as a quarterback? So I think that's an angle to look at as we monitor this situation. It hurts that all these guys are off the field, and it hurts Justin Fields chiefly. But... Every team goes through injuries. Every team's going to have their best guy or one of their best guys out now due to issues on the field, injuries, uh, trade requests, whatever it might be. Every team looks great on paper. So you have to overcome the injuries. The good teams overcome the injuries, overcome these outside factors to make a difference still. And that's what I'm curious to see for the Bears and Justin Fields. I think Fields has already proven that he is an NFL-competent quarterback. There's no question about that. This right here is a situation in which he could exhibit immense growth. Immense growth. His starting O-line is all banged up. If they're all healthy, he'd be outstanding like he was in the preseason. But the fact is, some of these guys may not be ready for week one. How does he respond? How does he overcome his adversity? In years past, it didn't really work out. He was younger, trying to learn the NFL, learn the game, and was thrown into some bad situations. This year, there are wide receivers. There is more money and resources invested into this team. How does Justin Field respond? 
How does he turn it around? How does he play better? So that's something that I think we should all be looking at when we read this report. Of course, we want everybody to come back, and that's the main thing, but I think there's a little bit more to it. And it involves Justin Fields, frankly. A lot of things are going to involve Justin Fields this year. A lot of things are going to concern him. Something like this seems indirectly, oh, you know, who cares? This has nothing to do with Fields. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. These are four starting offensive linemen who are now hurt, who are not practicing on a full-time capacity. Yes, that's going to affect Justin Fields big time come week one, week two. This does concern Fields. And it's just, it's unfortunate. Every time this kid seems to get a break, something happens right now. And to his credit, he's played better than what should have occurred, even last year. I mean, was not perfect by any stretch, has a lot of things he still needs to work on, but definitely played better than what was given to him, than what should have happened. That's a fact. And this year could be the same case, and that's why I'm looking to see how he responds. How much growth has Fields had this offseason? When you have four of your starters hurt, how do you step up and still perform at a high level and win a game for your team when they need you the most? This is a good growing and learning experience for Fields. What you could argue now is more of a veteran than a rookie. That's what I like about this situation. The only thing I like, the only positive I could try and pull away from it because everything else is not looking good. But I'm not going to be a doomsday guy here. Not going to be a doomsday guy yet because there's nothing to panic or fear about yet. Some of these guys could come back. Maybe they're all out for the rest of the season. So be it then. But... You still have your quarterback. You still have your wide receiving weapons that the Bears brought in via free agency. And your defense is still going to be solid. The defensive line has some issues and questions and really injuries too. But defensively, you're going to be ready to go. So this is not a doomsday appeal. This is not me freaking out or worrying or telling you, oh, everyone's hurt, so the Bears are going to go 4-13. and Not going to happen. But it's just an observation and a reality more than anything. It's a reality. And it's something we're going to have to keep in mind in regards to evaluating fields. I'm not saying his job is on the line, but just in terms of how much better did he get from last year to this year, right? When we sit there and look and evaluate and see, hey, how much has he changed? How much has he grown? This is going to play a factor. It just is. It's never going to be black or white with judging fields when his offensive line is torn up again. You can't judge somebody perfectly or say, yes, now I know for sure when he has four offensive linemen down and out. So a lot of qualifiers are coming into play, too. Point being, for all of this, there's more to this report than, oh, man, Darnell Wright, Cody Whitehair, Tevin Jenkins, and Lucas Patrick are hurt. There are a lot more implications than, hey, they're hurt, let's see when they come back. No, it's Okay, how's Justin Fields going to build off this? Will he grow from this? How's he going to perform without potentially all four of them in a real-life game? What will the Bears do? How will they perform? When will they be back? And how could we evaluate Justin Fields knowing that four of his offensive linemen are hurt? A lot of questions. A lot of things we're going to be looking forward to here. And you know what? I like that angle. I think it's better than declaring the worst. I've seen a couple of people on Twitter. Oh, my goodness, it's over. No, it's not over yet. Nothing's over yet. Season hasn't even started yet. The Bears could have a mishmash of five backup offensive linemen. Justin Fields is a good quarterback, so he could make something work. 
Even last year, although the Bears were the worst team in football, they were in every single game, and if they weren't tanking, they would have won many more of those games. That O-line and that team in general. I think this year, more than anything, we need to see how Justin Fields can actually win football games. That's the big thing. Because last year, he single-handedly at times kept them in games, but never really could come through late in the fourth quarter or late in games when the Bears, as a team, needed to come through. So if a lot of guys are injured, but there are expectations and a desire to win, how will Justin Fields overcome it? And I think that's the exciting part because as an evaluator, somebody who likes looking at this team and then looking at Justin Fields and how he fits into their future plans, this is fun because you get a real-life situation here. You get to see how things go when they're not necessarily perfect. Some parts are, like the wide receiving core, part of the defense, running back situation for sure, but the offensive line's kind of shaky. How does Fields' pocket presence measure up when he may not have much protection, but he has wide receivers. See, last year, everything sucked. (laughs) Every aspect of the team was horrible. Wide receivers, offensive line, running was fine, but everything else blew. And that hurt Justin Fields and our ability to fully, fully, fully evaluate him. And he did great with what he had this year. Great wide receiving core, good running backs, decent defense, but the offensive line might be beat up. Okay, so let's zero in on what Justin Fields can do. Let's see how he reacts and how he overcomes. Let's see his pocket presence when he is under pressure, but has people to actually throw it to. There are a lot of different angles we could see here. So I hope everybody comes back healthy, but if they don't, it's not the end of the world. It's not doomsday for the Bears. It's more so, okay, here's the real situation. How could we evaluate what they do? How could we evaluate their results and their performances week to week, knowing the offensive line is kind of beat up? That's what I'm looking forward to with this season, assuming all these guys might still be hurt. It's not time to sound the alarm. I mean, even in this article, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a bit nervous about how things look right now. Well, yes, nervous for sure, but again, not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. This doesn't mean the season's in the crapper because four of your starting offensive linemen are hurt. Now, it doesn't make it a perfect position for Justin Fields, but it doesn't make things impossible for the Bears to win and succeed and still meet or exceed expectations. A lot of opportunities are still on the table. Nothing is over yet. And I think it's just worth reminding everybody that. You're going to see injury reports really around the NFL now at this point. This guy's hurt. That guy's hurt. This whole team is beat up. Anything is possible. Next man up mentality and the good quarterbacks, I should say the great quarterbacks, overcome. And I give Fields credit. Last year at times, he did overcome. I mean, my goodness, that team. And he did overcome at times. There were times, you know, receivers dropping balls. I mean, E.Q. St. Brown, Dante Pettis, my goodness. It was a joke. E.Q. St. Brown's dropping balls this year in the preseason still. So, I want to see what he does. I want to see how things play out, but I'm not going to sound the alarms yet. And this has to go into your evaluation of Justin Fields for this year, like it'll go into mine. Hey, how does Fields do in these first couple of games with essentially no offensive line but weapons and a better defense? What's his pocket presence like? How does he avoid avoid pressure? How does he get out of the way? Cool things to evaluate and cool nuances that we could see and determine how much Justin Fields' game in specific ways has improved. 
That's what I like about this. But, of course, I hope that all these guys can get better soon because having a full, healthy offensive line, that's going to make a huge difference for Fields, as we already saw this year. Oh, how the tables have turned. Sports Talk Chicago, here for John's Glow. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports content. And it's up all over on social media at Sports Talk Chicago and help our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. We've lambasted ESPN for years on this program, and we will always continue to do so because for some reason they just consistently get things wrong. <laughs> whether it be predictions about the Bears, whether it be doing things for clicks but not really putting any analysis behind it, so I feel conflicted even doing this video and mentioning what's been going on there over the past couple of days, but I feel like we have to. And here's the quote from this article from NBC Sports Chicago. ESPN reporter picks the Bears to win the NFC North. Whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Wait, win the NFC North. That's what it says here. I'm not lying. The same network that said the Bears would be the worst team in football last year and continually trashed them is now flipping things around, turning the tables, and telling everybody you better pick the Bears now because they're going to win this whole division. I find it unbelievable. Here's more from this article. Sal Palantonio and Mike Greenberg both chose the Bears to win the division on ESPN. Palantonio said this, quote, I'm going with the Chicago Bears because I like what their new general manager has done in terms of the front seven. I like the way Justin Fields has developed into a dual-threat QB who can win from the pocket I think he's in the MVP conversation. And apparently Mike Greenberg, who had initially picked the Lions, then jumped and picked the Bears. Wow. So the Bears are getting national media attention for the right reasons for once. They're not being trashed down because they should fire Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace or getting rid of Ted Phillips or having the McCaskies tell the team. For once, it's something positive. It's something good. It's something we can all probably agree with. I'm not going to go as far to say that the Bears should win this division, and I've said many a time on this program, I expect 9-8, 10-7, I expect a wild card spot. That's my expectation. If they win the division, so be it. I'm going to be a huge fan of that, and I'm going to give them all the praise in the world. I'm shooting low. <laughs> I'm shooting low on the expectation bar because they have disappointed myself and all of you many a time over and over and over again. So I'm not going to go that far, but I appreciate the enthusiasm. And I agree with Palantonio and Greenberg, and I see what they see. For once, I'm in agreement with the SBN, which is why I said, kind of conflicted making this video. I'm kind of surprised. I like what their new general manager, Ryan Poles, has done in terms of the front seven, and I like the way Justin Fields has developed into a dual-threat QB who can win from the pocket. I think he's in the MVP conversation. What I find interesting is just the trajectory of the Fields narrative compared to the Jalen Hurts narrative, because... Man, if you look at them side to side, they are unbelievably similar. Jalen Hurts came in midseason, kind of replaced Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson was there, and that whole thing was a crapshoot. They, they went 4-11-1 that year. Everybody got fired. Wentz was gone. Peterson gone. And then it's just Jalen Hurts wondering what the hell is going on. Bring in a new coach and new personnel around Hurts, and then they develop into a fringe playoff team. Then they get bounced, and then last year they make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Justin Fields, first year, lame duck head coach, lame duck GM, and a bunch of idiots screwing around with his development year one. They put him in, and he replaces a veteran. The whole thing goes horribly. Everybody gets fired. Fields is retained. 
New head coach, new GM, last year tanking, this year now all of a sudden we're talking about MVP conversations, winning divisions, maybe even something more. I just find it so interesting how similar their paths are and were. I find it unbelievably interesting and fascinating. I don't think there's enough mentioned or said about the similarities between them two. And I know it's not necessarily a out-of-the-box idea. Maybe that's why no one talks about it. But really, when you break it down and look at narratives and look at opinions and talking heads and, and the headlines and the storylines that were going out for Jalen Hurts and how he started, and then Justin Fields and how he started, and where they both are today, they are unbelievably similar. Deal with that information what you will, but... I think this year is going to be a turning point year for the Bears, as we've said a number of times on this program. For the amount of hatred that we give them at times, there's been a lot of good that they've done. And we've acknowledged that here, and we're always going to acknowledge it. We want the Bears to win. We want them to be successful more than anything. We're just Bear evaluators. We're not fanboys here. That's the difference. But Ryan Poles has spent an exorbitant amount of money on talent. He is actually investing in this team and indirectly investing in Justin Fields. By investing in this team... You're putting confidence and you're, you're putting your faith in this QB and in this regime in general, down to the head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback, all the stakeholders. They're all involved, and Ryan pulls us all in, put all his poker chips into the middle of the table. He's ready, and he wants this, and he thinks he can do it with this quarterback, with this coach, with this offensive coordinator, with this team. He thinks he can do it. So the Bears put up an unbelievable amount of faith with all the money they've spent this offseason. Justin Fields has looked sharp and now has a great opportunity to be really good this year. Last year proved that he was competent, and this year has a chance to, yes, be in the MVP discussion if the Bears could win out of the game and if he plays better. The big knock with Fields, of course, is deep ball, just the amount of times he throws per game. And I'm hoping that this year he'll get more opportunities to throw the football. And I think he will. I think he's going to be more settled in in this offense. He may have more protection if his old line gets healthy by week one. But he certainly, no matter what, has the weapons to do it. D.J. Moore, Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney's back from injury. In the backfield, you have like five running backs, including Fields himself. You're not going to have any problem running the football. There are opportunities for the offense to shine this year. And with that comes an opportunity for Fields to be the MVP. Fields wasn't perfect last year, and there were times in which he just completely missed wide receivers. But there were other times in which big gains were negated because somebody had stone hands and couldn't catch the football. I said this in the last video, and I'll keep mentioning their names at least right off the top of my head. E.Q. St. Brown and Dante Pettis, man. My goodness, dropping the ball too many times. Cole Komet got better at it, but when he started too, horrible holding on to the football. So... Now you have actual, legit wide receivers who are NFL caliber, who know what they're doing, who have a track record, who are outstanding. DJ Moore is a number one wide receiver on maybe 20 to 25 of the, of the 32 teams in football right now. He's a number one. He has the numbers and the track record to prove it. Darnell Mooney is a number two wide receiver on all 32 teams in football. No doubt about that one. Number two wide receiver, all 32 teams. And Chase Claypool, who's a number three, is a number three on all 32 teams and could be a two if he actually plays up to his potential. 
the wide receiving depth that the Bears have, in my opinion, is one of the tops in football. And that's, by the way, a team that last year had one of the worst cores in football. Worst wide receiving cores. And we talked about it week in and week out. But Ryan Poles made the moves, traded the picks, paid the money to make this work. And getting Moody back from injury certainly helped things, too. At running back, Rochon Johnson has impressed impressed he might be the RB1 by the time it's all said and done this year. But Clear Herbert's still there. Deontay Foreman's still there. Fields himself could run. I mean, the run game's going to be outstanding. I can understand where Palantonio and Greenberg come from when they say, hey, yeah, the Bears could win the division. Why not? This division is wide open. We kept saying this, and we're going to continue to say it. It really is wide open. Nobody's come out and proven that, yes, I'm the favorite. The Lions are based on, I would say, public perception and how exciting their finish was last year. They won so many games in a row. They finished 9-8. and eight. They barely missed the playoffs. Jared Goff had a career year. Dan Campbell's very likable. They were on hard knocks. I mean, <laughs> the public perception surrounding the Lions has kind of jolted them forward. But in reality, when you look at all four of these teams, it's anybody's division. It's whoever's going to really step up. And I think these first six, seven games are going to be crucial for everybody involved. Who's going to come out and jump out of the gate running instead of limping? The Vikings may have a lot of their same players, but the Vikings had the same point differential last year that they did in 2021. And in 2021, their GM and their coach were gone after the season because they underperformed. So same exact point differential, but because of luck and the way the football bounced a couple of times, they won the division last year. The Packers have a brand new QB. Who knows how he's going to do? Maybe Jordan Love lights it up. I, I don't think so, but anything's possible. Huge X factor over there. The Lions have some continuity from last year, including David Montgomery, now coming in uh, new. But are they going to just run away with this? Will Jared Goff continue to perform like he did last year? I highly doubt that. Then you got the Bears with Justin Fields, poised for a big season. Top three good wide receivers, good run game, better defense. There's a lot to like. So this whole thing's wide open. It's not irresponsible to say the Bears will win the division. It's not from anybody. That's not even being fanboy-ish. I mean, it makes sense. I'm not going to go there. I said wild card. But it it's possible. I'm just not going to go there because I know that they're going to screw something up. <laughs> they might screw something up. They have in the past. But it's possible. This is not unrealistic fanboyish, or just out there crazy. I appreciate, actually, some fairness for once from ESPN. They've been horrendous at it, but they're doing it here. Pat Antonio went on to say on the segment, quote, for Jordan Love, it's going to be a difficult transition with the Packers, but I think the Bears have a good foundation in place. They do. I mean, when you really think about it here, Eberflus and Poles are going to be here minimum, minimum, even if things go horribly wrong for at least two to three more years, even if everything goes horribly wrong. And if they win, they're going to be here for a long time. So new head coach, new GM, that's going to be here to stay. Justin Fields, again, has proven competency this year. I'm hoping for near-level MVP play. But Justin Fields, I think, has proven enough. If he does, If he does well this year, and throws for, I don't know, 3,500 yards, maybe 25 touchdowns, 10 picks, runs for 1,000. They're going to give him an extension. He'll be here for the long haul. 
So the Bears are in a position where there could be continuity for a while with their head coach, their GM, and their quarterback. And at that point, the sky's the limit. And you brought in DJ Moore. You got Chase Claypool for now. Darnell Mooney's still going to be here. Your run game's going to be intact. I mean, a lot of these big-time, quote-unquote, weapons that the Bears have for fields are going to be retained, too. Pal Antonio makes a very good point. Talk about a good foundation. Yes, it's going to be in place for a couple of years, minimum. So it's not irresponsible. It's not wrong to say that they could win this division. More than anything, though, I just love the unbelievable 180 complete differential in narrative. And we're we're probably going to talk about narratives all season long. I recall when we first started doing YouTube, you know, we had been on the radio for a couple of years prior, all the narrative shifting around Mitchell Trubisky. Man, I wish I wish I was a little bit older covering Trubisky. Like, I wish I was this age covering the whole Trubisky thing now because we'd have even more fun with it. But talk about narrative shifting and people flip-flopping and media, especially flip-flopping. So... I find it interesting that we go from negative to a positive here. From Mitch, it was positive to negative, get him out of town. So I'm wondering, I'm just wondering what the play is here long-term for the media. As a media nerd, I'm trying to see how things are going to play out moving forward. And we're going to cover all of that, too. See, this just just isn't a game recap channel. You know, we're going to be covering the nuances of even how the media covers this team because it is fascinating. So I guess time will tell about that. A little bit of a tangent, but... Nevertheless, I like this article, and I like that national media members at least are recognizing, hey, something's going on in Chicago, and we should take note of it. And they're 100% right. I don't know for sure how things are going to play out, but I can tell you this, the expectation bars moved up even more. See, everybody said in the offseason, hey, this is just kind of a transition year. Maybe the Bears will go 7-10. and 10. They're going to be a little bit better, but next year is going to be the big year. No, no, no. We got people in the national media picking them to win the division. I said wild card, too. We have people in the media in general expecting greatness out of them this year. Fans are feeling the same way. So let's not downgrade our expectations. Let's not think, okay, they need to give them time. There's no time to be given. Ryan Pohl spent a ton of money this offseason. Weapons are here. Fields is going to be ready and primed for a breakout. This is it. So don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Expect good. Expect Great. We have to heighten those expectations based on what's been going on, and this is a great example here from ESPN as to why we should do it too. Na 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 na. Hey hey hey. Goodbye, Kenny Williams and Brickon. Hi everybody, welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears and Chicago sports, Chicago White Sox content. And stick with us all over on social media at Sports Talk Chicago. Help out our sponsor, too, Amish Country Farms. It's official. Goodbye. Farewell. Don't ever come back. Good riddance. Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. And it's so timely. Talked about with, uh, talked about this with John off the air. We just did a video this past week on the report that came out from Bob Nightingale indicating that the White Sox were having internal conversations about making changes and making things different. Now, we sit here today after I emphatically said, don't fire Pedro Grafo. We have more news on that coming up. But 
Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn are fired. And I want to read you this statement from Jerry Reinsdorf, everybody's best friend. Quote, this is an incredibly difficult decision for me to make because they are both talented individuals with long-term relationships at the White Sox. Ken is like a son to me. I will always consider him a member of my family. I want to personally thank Ken and Rick for all they have done for the Chicago White Sox, winning the 2005 World Series. That's the only thing they've ever done. And reaching the postseason multiple times during their 10 years. Yeah, who cares because they haven't won anything. While we have enjoyed successes as an organization and we're optimistic heading into the competitive window of this rebuild. Oh, wow. This year has proven very disappointing for all of us on many levels. This has led me to the conclusion that the best decision for the organization moving forward is to make a change in our baseball operations leadership. Thank you, Jerry Reinsdorf. On a separate note, Reinsdorf has apparently come out and said that the White Sox may even want a new stadium now. There have been even talks about moving the team to Nashville. Not joking. So, worst owner of the year award might end up going to him at the end of this season. But he got this one right. He did get this one right. Kenny Williams is gone. Rick Hahn is gone. And then look at this article from Bob Nightingale. Here's how this one opens. There were hugs. There were tears. There were emotional goodbyes. And there were screams of angst. Can I say something? I'm going to put this as plainly as possible. I know Jerry Reinsdorf's reputation is, hey, I treat my employees like family. And I like that. I mean, there's some heart into it. That's awesome. But guys... Guys, it's baseball, and nobody's won anything since 2005, okay? If you don't win, you get fired. And it's not personal. Kenny Williams could still be Jerry Reinsdorf's son. He just can't be involved with the team anymore because he sucks. That's the difference. He could still be Jerry Reinsdorf's son. He just can't be involved with baseball operations because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And Rick Hahn's up there with him. Rick Hahn, nice guy. I have no problem with with him personally. Seems like a nice guy. Nice interviews, always available. But Rick, you got a lot of things wrong, too. But really, let me backtrack a second. Although I want to really lambast and tear into them, we should really go back to the source of the problem, which we talked about on Sunday. Now we're going to talk about it here again, because obviously that's why these two got fired. Shame on all you players and shame on this roster. Seriously, because if this roster performed and if they did what they were supposed to do, nobody would be fired. It's because of the players' inadequacies on the field and really... Just their subpar and horrendous performance that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are out of here. And by the way, Rick Hahn didn't hire Tony LaRussa even. Now, I'm not saying Tony was a problem, but even two years ago, if anybody wants to blame Rick Hahn for the managerial stuff, no, that was Jerry Reinsdorf too. So my point is, yes, Rick Hahn made bad decisions. Kenny Williams made horrendous decisions. Jerry Reinsdorf, though, did a lot of this stuff. And then the players just didn't win. Everything is dysfunctional. This reminds me of Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, and the 2020 Bears. They made the playoffs going 8-8. The whole Mitch Trubisky thing, they bench him, they put him back in, then they just get rid of him, then everybody gets fired a year later, they mishandle Justin Fields. So many things going on. Too many things going on. And everybody got fired. And now we sit here today, and this is what happened to the White Sox. Even... Kenny Williams said that. He said, this is what happens. He said, quote, we didn't get the job done. I'm grateful for the time Jerry Reinsdorf gave me to try and bring another championship to Chicago. I failed him. This is what happens. Now, as far as the aftermath goes, favorites for the positions open include Chris Getz and Dayton Moore. Now, Dayton Moore, qualified individual, 
somebody who knows what he's doing, somebody who knows how to win a championship with a small market team. He won it in 2015 with Kansas City. Now he's in the front office with the Rangers, who are doing great. So I like the Dayton Moore idea. Chris Getz, though, he's 39 years old. He's overseen White Sox minor league development. Um, what makes him qualified for this job? But even more than that, what makes him successful in his current job? All these Sox players are busts. Yeah, they are. I mean, besides Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez, bust. Oscar Colas, unbelievable bust. Yermin Mercedes, remember him? Bust. Think about all these youngsters still coming up through the ranks. Michael Kopech, kind of a bust. Michael Kopech is a person, great guy. Michael Kopech is a pitcher this year, horrendous. Lucas Giolito, gone. Not a bust per se, but he's off the team now. All these players that Chris Gatz, quote-unquote, developed have really not worked out. So that begs the question, what makes him general manager or president of baseball operations material? Not really a good track record. See, if he had developed all these players into all-stars and this team was so good, well, then guess what? There wouldn't even be a change. There wouldn't be a firing up top. Chris Gatz, although minor, is a part of the problem. So putting him in a position of power, not necessarily a good idea. At all. And apparently, Gantz and Moore have, quote-unquote, a father-son relationship. I don't know what the hell that means. I mean, you always get those weird things, right? Like, you know, during the NFL Combine or during things like this, you always hear those weird terms, father-son relationship. They have a good relationship, blah, blah, blah. It's all just talk. I don't want to hear that. Uh, are they going to actually get the job done? Are they going to win or not? And my guess is, Dayton Moore, I have no problem with. Chris Gantz, I don't know. Not sold on him at all. Now, here's the key part, and thank you, White Sox, for apparently listening to my video on Sunday. Pedro Grafol is safe, officials say, at least for now. He's in the first year of a three-year contract, and while White Sox players have complained publicly about lack of discipline and leadership, the front office is not blaming Grafol for their 49-77 and record. He is not to blame. Thank you, Jerry. You got that one right. He is not to blame. And I put out a video about this. People killing me all over Twitter. Tell me how Pedro Grafol is to blame for this crap. It's not his fault that Tim Anderson just sucks. Now, it's not his fault that any of these players are not getting it done. Okay? No way. My goodness. He inherited this team. And last year, there were 500. What, do you expect him to turn them around and win 100 games this year with the same roster? No. Oh, my goodness, people. I mean, look at this graphic I see here. White Sox pitchers before and after. Lance Lynch, 6.47 ERA, got traded, 1.44 ERA. Ronaldo Lopez, 4.290 ERA with the White Sox, gets traded, 1.86 ERA. Kenyon Middleton, or Keenan Middleton, Sox, 3.96 ERA, 104 with the Yankees after being traded. Does that sound like a managerial problem or a pitching coach problem? I'm not saying Pedro Grafol is just unbelievably and, and 100% blameless, but there's probably 5% blame on him. I mean, not even close. And the White Sox are making the right move here. Here's the weird part, though, and I'm sure everybody will get a kick out of this, including myself. Grafol is scheduled to meet with Jerry Reinsdorf and Tony LaRussa. Whoa, whoa. Who is back working as a White Sox consultant. I'm laughing. LaRusso resigned as manager after last season to deal with lengthy cancer treatments, but he has been medically cleared to work again and recently scouted the White Sox minor league system. Grafol is expected to be asked what went wrong this year, 
how he plans to fix it, and what personnel changes are needed. Okay. Um, you all know I've always supported Tony. And I did up until he got quote-unquote fired. But I don't support this. I have unbelievable respect for LaRusha as a manager, as a Hall of Famer, because he is in the Hall of Fame and you can never get him out of there. He's in. He's a great, he's one of the greatest managers in baseball history. But keyword manager and keyword old news. This is like if the Bears brought back Mitch Trubisky, like this year as a backup quarterback. It, it, although I enjoy it, although I would love this story, it's just, hey guys, old news, let's move on. Pack it up and move on. Tony LaRusha has no business being on this team right now. No business being near it. None. There is no reason why he should be here. I don't even understand what he's doing. He's consulting on what? He's old. It's over. Tony, it's done. Go home. Why are you here consulting on a team that you, I mean, Tony, you're 79, 80 years old. (laughs) What are you consulting for? But I don't even blame him. I blame Jerry because Jerry Reinsdorf's the one who brought him in to consult. I mean, I just don't understand that either. This whole thing is so weird. I've never seen a transition of power being so weird. What we're talking about crying and angst and tears about firing two guys who've been inadequate. Then you bring in the manager you just quote unquote fire to be a consultant to hire the new people. The new people you want to hire about father son relationship. What the hell's going on over here? <laughs> You're keeping the manager, which was the only right decision out of any of this. Oh, yeah, the owner may want to move the team to freaking Nashville or find a new stadium. What is going on? I mean, this team sounds like it's on the verge of collapse, like they're going to fold. Like in the 1900s, when the Federal League folded, and all these old baseball teams just folded because they had no money and no leadership and nothing. That's what it sounds like right now. They're just going to fold tomorrow. You're bringing back the manager you fired to consult on hiring somebody new. In the front office, not a manager. (laughs) And you're talking about moving stadiums. You're talking about moving to frickin' Nashville. All right, then. What the hell is going on here? (laughs) I don't know if anybody else, maybe you could have, I've never seen something so weird happening. With a baseball team going through a transition of power. With a professional sports team going through a transition of power. Maybe even with, dare I say, even the United States of America doing a transition of power. I mean, my goodness. Seriously. You bring back the old guy who just got fired and these two guys got fired. There, there, There were tears and then... Did you want to move the team to Nashville or move to a different stadium outside of the south side of Chicago? What? what? Jerry, my goodness. What's going on over there? Relax, my friend. First things first, you need a GM and a president of baseball ops immediately. Secondly, you need to get new players and find out what the hell went wrong this year. New players across the board. Then we could talk about moving and stadium and all this other stuff, but that all means nothing right now. First things first, let's get all this stuff done. Let's make this team competitive again before we talk about moving around and doing certain things. See, the Bears were smart. They've been talking about moving, but they were good in 2018, then they kind of hit a rut now. Justin Fields, exciting stuff. Okay, we're going to move. 
good, good idea, good branding exercise. You don't link to the media, Jerry, that you're trying to move and then move either out of the city of Chicago city limits or move to frickin' Nashville and your team's in the crapper. This is like the lowest point for the White Sox, I would argue, in the past 10, 15 years. And even firing Robin Ventura or, you know, firing Rick Renteria, bringing in Tony, that does not compare to this. This is a mid-season firing of essentially your entire front office. Nothing compares to this. I don't know what is going on over there. Can't be just me. I mean, you guys, you got to admit it, right? Like, this is weird. Even the Cubs, for, you know, being the lovable losers, the bleacher bums, they didn't go through this when the whole Tribune sale happened and then, you know, the, the Theo and, and the Ricketts bought the team and Theo and Jed were hired. It wasn't even this weird. It was a little bit weird. There were snags in the process. The Tribune was being weird about it, but it ended up being done. This is just pure madness and chaos. I've been trying so hard to keep up with this story, and... I just, every time I refresh my Twitter, something new pops up. There's a new wrinkle to this thing. Oh, Tony uh, is back. Oh, he's back? How? Oh, he's a consultant. Wait, what? Where'd that come from? Oh, they both got fired mid-season, but Pedro might be saved. No, he's not saved. Now he is saved, because that's what happened. It was, oh, he's not saved. Now he is. Oh, Jerry wants to move to Nashville. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Funniest thing in the world. Sox fans, I feel for you. I mean, I'm laughing at your expense, I guess, because at the end of the day, I feel for you. What the hell is going on here? I mean, I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is all going to go. I hope for the best. I think Dayton Moore coming in is great. I think Chris Getz is a stretch, and really, he has no credentials to do it. They made the right decision in keeping Pedro Grafal because he did nothing wrong. The firings were justified. Don't move either. Don't even think about moving your stadium. Why move? For what? If you want to move your stadium, maybe, I guess, but don't move to Nashville, Jerry. Don't move this team to Nashville. The White Sox are such a storied franchise, just like the Cubs are. I mean, the White Sox were around in the 1800s, just like the Cubs were. You're going to move them after all this time, after this storied history that they've put together and accomplished in Chicagoland, you're going to move them to freaking Nashville? Oh, goodness. Don't do that, please. It's like if the Cubs were to move. Same thing. They're never moving. And the White Sox shouldn't either. They have such a dedicated fan base around here. You're going to lose that. And I don't think you're going to gain it in Nashville or match it in Nashville. Although Nashville is warm all year round, a nice area, all the fun stuff, you can't match the passion of a Chicago sports fan, especially when it comes to their baseball team that they love. You're not going to be able to do it. So this team is in shambles, and Sox fans, they don't have much comfort to give you, but if you want to rant with me and feel horrible with me, you could comment and, and we'll read all those next time we go on the air. And you, I'll interact with you live also on Twitter and wherever wherever you are. Because this video is going to go out, we could talk about it. But this is beyond horrible. This is the disaster, doomsday scenario that we all expected to kind of happen. The problem is when, when there is a doomsday or disaster, you look to see, okay, what's the emergency plan? What are we supposed to do? Something bad happens, 
How do we fix it? What do we do to control the damage and move forward and get back on our feet ASAP? For the White Sox, they have no plan. There is no emergency plan. There is no, okay, I know what to do when things get bad. There's nothing. And that's why it's scary. And that's why all this stuff that's happening is unbelievably unprecedented. Thanks for watching today's show here on Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Thank you to all of you. Uh, follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago on social. Hit up uh, our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. Big thank you to John Meadows as well for directing and producing. And subscribe to the channel if you liked this rant and other rants right here. So long, everyone.